Hello and welcome to the Give Me 10 Minutes Teacher Powered Podcast. I'm excited because I have Laura Coleman with me today. And Laura Coleman is a teacher, fifth grade teacher, and a nationally board certified teacher. And I'm excited to hear from her about some of the things that she does in her classroom. I was just talking to Ms. Cohen about some of the exciting things that we're going to have an opportunity to talk about. So first of all, Ms. Coleman, I want to thank you for uh, doing this podcast and the impact of teacher voice um, influencing teachers is strong. So I really wanted to create a podcast that teachers have a platform to express their ideas, the things they're doing in their classroom, because we often don't have the opportunity to speak to each other. So the podcast really provides another avenue in that regard. So I just thank you for being here. Um, The first thing that I I wanted you to discuss and talk about is basically in in your classroom, uh, when we're talking about reading instruction, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, We know we have to differentiate. We know that we, we want to involve all the students and meet them where they are. So I just want to talk to you about some of the strategies that you do in your classroom involving reading, even though it's a wide scope. I want to talk about what does a typical reading day or hour or 90 minutes look like in Ms. Coleman's classroom? First, I want to thank you for coming, or for asking me to come and um, speak with you today. So in my classroom, I look at my data quite frequently because one of the things is within my reading groups, I don't want the students to be stuck within the same group for the entire school year. So it's flexible grouping. I look at the skill that I'm going to teach and who is weak in that particular skill, who's strong in that skill, and that's how I divide up my groups. So a typical day in my classroom is that we follow the daily five, but really in an intermediate classroom, it's more like a daily three. So we have workstations, which could be read to self, read to a buddy, where they sit elbow to elbow, knee to knee, and they use soft inside voices, and we practice, 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 and model before we get to that point. Work on writing, work on um Uh, vocabulary and word work and then the last station is listen to reading and so all of that kind of goes on while I'm pulling my small groups I also believe that the instruction is is kind of chunked so I tend to um, teach for 10 minutes then I'll pull a group I bring everybody back in I teach the whole class for another 10 minutes then everybody goes to their workstation and then we so that's kind of how I do my rotations as I'm rotating in between them we're doing small chunked lessons mini lessons because I feel like our children's attention span isn't as great and asking them to sit for 30 minutes (laughs) um, in today's society when they don't have to is a little more challenging Mm -hmm. so um, within my workstation I usually work with a small group of students they could be you know we could be working on decoding if that's what they need or comprehension because I've been teaching gifted for eight years though most of my work is is higher order mm-hmm. so right now my students are reading the little prince okay we're talking about what an allegory novel is mm-hmm. and so how there's a hidden underlying meaning and it's a little hard for them to go from the literal to the figurative mm-hmm. and so it's it's a, at a much higher level mm-hmm. I wanted to mention because uh, a lot of teachers I hear um, kind of almost envy gifted uh, teachers because they oh you're your kids are so high or your kids are so capable and we have to do so much. But then I always take a step back and, and look and realize that your job is to get those kids even higher than they are. 
So a lot of times um, those kids have plateaued and you have to try to find ways and strategies, you know, to keep boosting them up and make sure that they don't fall and make sure they don't lose. So kind of talk about the challenges of that, um, because I feel like everybody has that higher student in their classroom that they struggle to really reach because, um, yes, we're focused on the lower um, quartile students and the middle students because we want to get them up. But then what about those higher students that need that extra boost and that challenge? Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I'm so glad you asked me about gifted because mm -hmm. there's this misconception. A lot of people think that it, because it's gifted, it's yeah, easier. Exactly. And um, there's a big difference between a high achieving child mm -hmm. and a gifted child. A high achieving child is the student who's gonna work really hard and no matter what, get the straight A's. The gifted child, they think differently. They think outside of the box. They may be disorganized. They may have attention problems. They may be on the autism spectrum. So there's a lot of challenges within that. Um, and when you say, you know the learners right now in my class i have students reading from a third grade level to a 12th grade wow. level so i really have to look at how i differentiate um i believe in literature circles for my higher readers and so they kind of meet they read a book then periodically i'll meet with them where are you at what's your pacing and i'll give them roles it's very important to give them roles whenever mm -hmm. you put them in groups yes. and when i give them the role cards i even give them sound bites like um if you're the leader of the group, this is what you should be saying. If you're the timekeeper, this is what you should be saying. So that's one of the things I do. Another thing is a product choice chart. Okay. So when we want the students to do work for us, they might be bored or they might not complete a task that you thought would be fun. Mm -hmm. It might not be fun for them. So by giving them a choice of like a tic-tac-toe chart or like three choices and say, here are three things I want you to do. Mm -hmm. which would you like to do? Then you get their buy-in. They have the ability to select what they want and they're excited. So an example would be, um, I did a project on cells. So they could either make a 3D model of a cell. Mm -hmm. They could compare a cell to a city and how all the structures in the cell are similar to a city. Or the last thing that they could do was write a story from a cell's perspective. Mm. So, I thought everybody would want to make the model <laughs> and only about half the kids did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that goes to show you how really giving them that choice. And because we're going to talk about engaging the reluctant reader, engaging those students who, you know, like you said, just are bored, don't want to do it, just aren't motivated. Um, you have those students in every classroom. So I really think the choice ties into it, um, giving them that choice and making them feel empowered in the classroom to make choices and decisions. But um, if there's anything else in terms of um, if you could speak to engaging those readers additional strategies that you use um, to kind of reach those students that I just don't want to read this or this is too long or the vocabulary is too hard or um, I'm just not interested in it. You know, it's it's not about sports or it's not about LeBron or Kobe. Um, so how do you get those students to be interested in those things um, that don't particularly aren't their taste? Well, that has a special place in my heart because mm -hmm. my son didn't read until third grade mm -hmm. and he was a struggling reader and it was very, very difficult and challenging. And the biggest thing that we did for him was audiobooks, because if he was able to listen to the book, 
and read the book at the same time, he wasn't stumbling over the vocabulary. He had heard a lot of the vocabulary in daily conversations. Or he would say to me, Mom, Mom, pause the CD, or what does this mean? So I bring that strategy in with my class. I also, with the reluctant readers, mm -hmm. I also, again, choice. We have a choice of three, these three stories. What do we want to read? Giving them that choice, but then also building background knowledge because maybe they don't want to read a story based on science because they don't have that background knowledge. So the ReadWorks website yeah. has a um, ability where you could do a story a day and there are short stories and that helps to build the background knowledge. And so I think that that's really one of the biggest problems too. Perfect, perfect. Um, I did want to talk about uh, some of the things that you do uh, regarding the teacher travel um, a little bit later on in the podcast. But I really wanted to get to another subject of math um, because at times math can be so rote. It can be so prescriptive. Um, and I just wanted to talk to you about in your classroom, how do you make math fun? How do you make those students uh, engaged uh, in a math lesson? And what are some ideas that you have in that regard? Well, I was very fortunate to be selected by the U.S. Department of Education and the University of Florida to work on a um, nine-hour graduate course on striving learners in math. And so one of the things that I learned from that course was that we really have to go from calm, concrete. We have to use manipulatives. Teachers say, oh, I don't want to use manipulatives because I don't have time for it. Then we move to representational, which is when we see the images in our book. And then lastly, we do the abstract thinking. We as teachers, we think that just by looking at the visual um, and going into the abstract thinking that we're, we're doing fine. And we know we've got testing on our shoulders and we've got to get through the entire book in a short amount of time. But we cannot move on if they don't really have a concrete understanding. So number one, that's the most important thing to me. So when I pull out manipulatives, I give them like, okay, you have 90 seconds, do whatever you want with the manipulatives. Okay, now you have to <laughs> come back in. Um, I read story, math stories okay. in my class. I find books that relate to that. Right. Um, food always mm -hmm. works. So mm -hmm. if we're doing fractions, there's the Hershey's book and you yeah. break apart the Hershey's bar. Skittles for data helps or M&Ms. But any type of manipulative, I also, we sing songs. Mm -hmm. and we <laughs> In do fifth grade. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, like to the Macarena, I have uh -huh. a single song. Great. Or we do um, action math. Okay. So if they'll hold up a whiteboard, if they get the answer correct, yeah. then yeah. they get to do an action. Okay. If they get it incorrect I, during that time, I go around and I help them. Mm -hmm. And so it might be five jumping jacks. And then mm -hmm. they're so excited because then they get to do an action. Yeah. That's really fascinating because some of those I use and some of them I don't use, um, like the particularly the math stories. I know I don't do enough of that. And uh, in second grade, that could be very beneficial to me. So I really appreciate that. Um, you know, just to kind of close out, I really wanted to talk to you about uh, the teacher travel opportunities, some of the things that you've been able to do. Um, I know as teachers, you know, a lot of times we either don't have the opportunity to travel or don't know about the opportunities and therefore are unable to ask um, uh, because our principals are are pretty you know not not really hesitant to let us go they're pretty open in terms of that um, so I really want to talk to you about what opportunities are out there um, that teachers could be looking forward to to increase their learning 
So what was what's really great is that the National Endowment for Humanities has a workshop. There's landmark for teacher workshops. And with the workshops, there's institutes, which are two to four weeks, or there's just a regular workshop, which is one week. And they pay for you to go. So the institute, you would get a stipend of either about $600 or up to $3,000. And you're learning, but you're working with colleagues, and, and it's really exciting. I've gone to the workshops that have been a week long, and that comes with a stipend of $1,200 to cover travel and expenses. And then sometimes there's a little bit of money left over. Mm -hmm. um, I've met teachers from all over the country. Mm -hmm. I've had the ability to travel to Niagara Falls and mm -hmm. go to Old Fort Niagara mm -hmm. and study the American Revolution. I've been to Nebraska to learn about the Indian Removal Act. I went to Mount Vernon, had a private reception on the back porch of Mount Vernon just awesome. for teachers. Awesome. And that made me feel special yeah. because we don't get recognized enough in our yeah, profession. That's right, that's right. So that is a great opportunity. I encourage everyone to do that. The application period usually starts in January. Mm -hmm. It's due in March. And all you have to do is write a one-page essay and you get your principal to write you a letter of recommendation. Okay. And a little hint, if you say that you're gonna bring it back to your peers, that goes a long way for getting selected, and also that you're going to use primary sources from the workshop. Okay. So I have been to seven different National Endowment workshops, um, and my principal has written me lovely letters, mm -hmm. and I've been to one in the state of Florida for the Florida Endowment for Humanities. And that's a little different. You have to spend $50 to mm -hmm. hold your spot, yeah. but then you travel. And I went to St. Augustine and learned a lot about that. So yes. I love to travel yeah. and I love to learn and I love to meet teachers from all over the country who I still stay in touch with. Awesome. And we, you know, we Skype. Sometimes I Skype their classrooms, like mm -hmm. a teacher who teaches on a reservation mm -hmm. um, in South Dakota, which is a very different perspective for my students mm -hmm. uh, than what we have here. Awesome, awesome. I really thank you um, about sharing for sharing those opportunities because um, we just sometimes we don't know what we don't know, <laughs> and um, and and that would really that would really expand our scope as teachers to really to meet other people, to meet other colleagues, to communicate and have those conversations with other people. I think is imperative, and um, I really um, just to close up. I just wanted to tell you that you know, teacher voice has impact. Uh, your voice goes a long way in influencing each other um, to to influence our practice, to influence the way we do things. And I really, really appreciate you uh, coming and sharing and really inspiring um, me and I know so many other teachers that will be listening to this podcast. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity.